Well, I want to welcome you one more time to this collection of sermons that we will be concluding with this installment that we are calling Planted Not Buried. If you have been listening or watching, joining us at church online or in person throughout this series, you know this statement is not just a series title for us, not in this season, not in this collection, that really Planted Not Buried is a statement of faith. Planted Not Buried is a perspective that we are taking on in shaping and framing how we see all we see. We are choosing to live planted, not buried, because this perspective really can change how you see everything. And where we've been over these many weeks, if you want to go back and watch or listen to one of the previous installments, you know, we've talked about building the right character because you, if you have the right makeup on the inside of you, it does not matter where they place you. It does not matter where you get put. You can know I am planted here because I know what's inside of me. me. You may have tried to bury me, but you can't bury me because I know who lives in me. And this includes when you find yourself in the dark. When you find yourself with anonymity being your normality, when you find yourself with regression being the only movement you experience, when it's dark in your life, you can say by faith because of how you see all you see, I'm planted, not buried. And that even goes into us as we discovered in the most recent installment, being able to wait well. A lot of us don't like to wait. Many of us don't deal well with the waiting season. But anything that's ever been planted, you know you have to give it time. You have to wait so that what's on the inside of it can come out of it and we can see and all can know that they really were planted, not buried. But if you're going to live this way, being planted, not buried, if you're going to take on this perspective and not just allow it to be a theme for a series of sermons and not just allow it to be something, oh, wasn't that neat and I like that graphic and I remember some of them sermons, oh, it really blessed me. But if you want to make sure you're someone that in every season, in every situation, you live planted, not buried, I must prepare you on today for one thing that I can not skip over. That is opposition. Opposition. Yes, there will be to those of you, to those of us who choose to live planted, not buried, there will be opposition in your life. There will be pushback. There will be things trying to come along and pluck the good work that you're doing, pluck the good work that God is doing out of you or away from you. There will be those that try to demean and diminish what's going on on the inside of you. But part of seeing you, part of seeing all you see with the perspective that I'm planted, not buried, comes from recognizing that ain't everybody or everything going to work out like I wanted to. Part of being able to live planted, not buried, in, in, in good seasons and in difficult seasons. Come on, in seasons when the rain is abundant and seasons when they, you experience a drought. Being able to live planted, not buried in any and all seasons comes from this understanding as you walk into it. 
that there will be opposition. The haters are going to come. That not everybody's going to believe in you like you wanted them to believe in you. Not everybody's going to celebrate you like you wanted them to celebrate you. And that's okay because you were ready for it. Friend, if I could just tell you so plainly today, whether you're listening to this podcast, joining us at church online, watching us on YouTube, wherever you may be and however you may be, uh, could you trust me enough to be able just to speak this into your life, speak this as, as truth over you? That if your life is ever going to have a message that helps somebody in some kind of way, it's going to come out of a mess. Your message will always come out of a mess. As someone who's lived a little bit of life, there's plenty of people listening, watching right now that have lived a whole, more, whole lot more life than me. But I've, I've lived enough to know that it's the stuff that I didn't want to have to walk through that enabled somebody a little bit later on in my life to walk through some stuff they thought was going to overwhelm them. It's the mess that sometimes I found myself in. Sometimes I created it. Sometimes it happened to me that created a message that I can share, a message of hope. And that's not always with a microphone in hand. That's not always at church online. Sometimes that message is just the faithfulness of one's life. If your life is ever going to have a message that helps others, I promise you it will come out of a mess. And anyone who's ever had a testimony, Everybody thinks they want to have a testimony. There's only one problem. Ain't nobody want the foundation of that testimony to be what the foundation of every testimony is. A test. That anytime you've got something to thank God for, anytime you can celebrate what God did, how God has come through, baby, there was probably always a test that you found yourself in. A test financially, a test in your health, a test in your emotions, a test in your mind, a test in your faith. There was a test that you overcame. And now you've got a testimony. Because even in that difficulty, even in that opposition, you did not quit because you knew, even here, I'm planted, not buried. You know, people who learn to live planted, not buried, they see opposition differently. They don't see it the same way everybody else sees it. See, some of you even today, when I said opposition, you got a little nervous because you don't like any resistance. In fact, some of you have even come to the point where you begin to define things as of God and not of God based on the resistance. And if there is resistance, that can't be of God. And if there's no resistance, then that must be God. Said who? See, people who live planted, not buried, aren't necessarily those who go running around looking for a fight. <laughs> They're not necessarily those who are uh, drawn to opposition or trying to find opposition. But what they know is that opposition is not the end. And today I want that to get deep on the inside of you. Because some of you, you have a hard time believing that in this season, that in this moment, that in this stage of your life, that in what's going on around you at work, what's happening in your neighborhood, what's happening in your family, what's happening in your job, that you, 
You have a hard time believing that you could actually be planted there. It feels like maybe I'm in the wrong spot. It feels like maybe I should change. And before you do that, would you hear me clearly? Because resistance does not mean that this is the end. Difficulty and pain are not signs that God has abandoned you or that he's mad at you. In fact, opposition brings with it an opportunity. And today, for a few moments, I, I want to draw your attention to, if I'm just being honest with you, well, one of my favorite stories, favorite lives communicated to us through the scriptures. Today, we're going to turn our attention to a man in the Old Testament called Nehemiah. And I think his story is so powerful. It's been so helpful and so instructive for me even personally. And I believe for you it will be today, and I want to tell you why. Because Nehemiah was not a spiritual leader. I think sometimes when we go to the scriptures, we think of everyone we're reading as some man of God, some woman of God, that there's the pastor, there's the priest, there's the prophet, there's the anointed one of God. And many of them are. Many of the people who took pen to paper, if you will, and wrote down what we now hold and treasure and have as the inspired, authoritative written word of God were apostles and prophets and pastors and evangelists and teachers. They were God's anointed man for a season. Not Nehemiah. Nehemiah didn't go to seminary. <laughs> Nehemiah didn't have a church he pastored. Nehemiah wasn't on the traveling speaking circuit of pontificators of his day. No, 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 no. He was a person doing his job when God broke his heart. He was a man who was working well at the work that his hands offered him to do. And God broke his heart for something. And he ran towards it. And he did good work despite opposition that he would have never expected. And so today I want to lean in and lean out of his story. I want to take you on a journey through what we are communicated to and about in much of this key moment in Nehemiah's life and in his story. But as we do, I want to draw application for your own life, for my own life, for this season, for any season you find yourself when the opposition comes at you. Because some of you, the reason you're ready to throw in the towel on God, the reason you're ready to abandon this season of life, the reason some of you have thought very, very strongly about ending your marriage, about quitting your job, about walking out of that space and never going back in there again is because of the opposition that you face. But what if that opposition isn't a sign that you're to run? But maybe it's a reminder that I need to hold on and keep at what I'm doing because what I do matters. Because even here, somebody in that chat, I am planted, 
not buried. Book of Nehemiah chapter 1, here's the way it begins. Nehemiah chapter 1, we're going to read the first four verses, and as I told you today, we'll read several parts of it. I'm going to give you the, the, the Michael Byer version of a lot of his story just to help us speed along so that way we don't read seven chapters of the book of Nehemiah and call ourselves having been to church today. But that being said, let's read the first four verses of Nehemiah chapter 1, shall we? God's word goes like this. It says, during the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, when I was in the fortress city of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, arrived with men from Judah, and I questioned them about Jerusalem and the Jewish remnant that survived the exile. They said to me, the remnant in the province who survived the exile are in great trouble and disgrace. Jerusalem's wall has been broken down, and its gates have been burned down. Nehemiah says, when I heard these words, I sat down and wept. I mourned for a number of days, fasting and praying before the God of heaven. I hope you understand how normal this experience is in one's life. Nehemiah just tells us where he is and, and, and what's going on and that his brother came back from a journey to the homeland. And Nehemiah leans into his brother like you would do if you didn't live in the place that was your hometown and one of your relatives went back to the hometown and you say, hey, tell me about where we grew up. How's the house that we grew up in look? Is that little restaurant we used to eat at? Uh, is that still there? Like you would just ask questions, wouldn't you? You'd try to get up to speed. And as they're having this conversation, his brother doesn't have a whole lot of good things to share. He's like, man, Jerusalem is struggling. The walls are torn down. The gates are destroyed, which the walls were, were the symbol of security and safety and strength of a city. And so for the walls to be torn down was a terrible thing. For the gates to be uh, dismantled and mangled would mean that there is no commerce. There is no work going on because all of the... The commerce of a city happened in the gates. He says, our city is a mess. And when Nehemiah heard this, he wasn't looking to be burdened. He wasn't looking to be wrecked. He wasn't looking for something to do. He was a guy working his job, having a conversation with his brother. But when he heard these words, this is what he said. He sat down and wept and he mourned for a number of days, fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Have you ever been burdened to do a work that you weren't expecting to do? You find yourself working at a company you never thought you would work for, but when you went there for a meeting or an interview or you just heard about the work they were doing, something happened on the inside of you and said, I got to be a part of this thing. Or maybe you hear what a nonprofit, maybe you see what even our church does, and the next thing you know, you find yourself giving up a Saturday. You find yourself giving up time. You find yourself investing resources, investing it to make something happen. Have you ever been burdened to do a work you weren't expecting to do? I know I have. In fact, it's, it's weird to me to look at my own life right now because a lot of the work that I give myself to 
every single day of my life. The things that I pray over and work on and meet about and stress over and are raising funds for and trying to accomplish. <laughs> I never would have thought this would have been the stuff I was doing. Like, I never planned on starting a church. Now, I know that's weird to hear because some of you know, many of you may know that my wife and I, we started this church, Believing, didn't have another name and we renamed it. No, no, no. We started Believing from nothing. We planted the church, as some people call it. Um, that wasn't in my plans. I, I like security way too much. I'm way too diplomatic. I love the local church. I love, like, 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 I don't have all these, like, hard feelings towards church and, like, oh, the system is broken. Like, that wasn't me. I, I, I'm a good employee. Like, like, I, I never thought I'd be the one who would start a church, but here we are. I walk out of a Grizzlies game a bunch of years ago and God burdens my heart for our city. Burdens my heart to start a, a church that was in the city, that was of the city, that was for the city, that would work so that all people are transformed in Christ. And I was never able to shake that burden. So here we are. I never planned on it. But here we are. I never planned on starting a nonprofit that would provide quality, affordable housing for single moms. Not because I don't understand the gravity or the magnitude of the need. It just wasn't, it wasn't what I thought I would ever do. But we just out there trying to help people like we do, help the people that are in front of us. And the next thing I know, I'm angry and I'm burdened because of the, the reality of tens of thousands of families led by single moms in our city and their access to quality, affordable housing. And the next thing you know, we're doing all we can and we've got, we've got things that have already happened and properties that we already own and we're working on raising hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars this year to be able to do more and more and more houses. And if you would have told me this would be my reality, if you would have told me that this would be a work that literally every day of my life I would, I would be uh, involved and enveloped in, that was not what I ever planned on. I never planned on leading a church that would be known for serving people food, but here we are. Here we are. Years and years and years of rolling up our sleeves and serving uh, thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands. And man, we're, we're into the millions of pounds of food that we have served over the course of our time in doing grocery drive-throughs, whether ourselves or with partner organizations and the things that we're working on to serve people food and meals for, and all this stuff that we do and have done, it's, but you get burdened. You get, you get, I didn't plan on it, but you realize in your neighborhood, so many people don't eat and so many people don't know where their next meal is coming from. And so many people, they open their pantry and there's nothing there. It's an exercise in futility. And something on the inside of you gets burdened and says, we have to do something.
something. I never planned on us uh, operating a, a toy giveaway at Christmas that would serve thousands of kids, that we would have passed out more than, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of like 12 or 13,000 toys over the last couple of years to kids in our cities, helping parents be the heroes, helping kids be able to open something on Christmas. That was not in the plan. But God burdened our heart for something we weren't expecting to do. And so when we knew we couldn't shake it, we did something about it. Can I teach you something today that I believe the story of Nehemiah bears out? I believe there are many instances in the scripture that bear out the truth of what I'm about to say. Although what I'm about to say is going to rub many of you the wrong way. In fact, the more churchy you are, the more this is going to bother you. The more you've been around thinkers and talkers and, and writers of, uh, of, of spiritual concepts in the Christian faith, this may bother you more. But I promise you it's true in their life and it's certainly true in mine. In fact, you'll even notice in this thing I want you to write down how I've sort of caveat it. But really, I would like to take the caveats off of it because of how fundamentally true I know this is. But please write this down. God directs through burden as much or more than he directs through blessing. God directs your life, our, my life. He directs us as much or more through the burden he puts in our heart, through the burden he enables our eyes to see, through the burden he allows to sit on our heart that we cannot shake, as much or more than he does the blessing that comes to our life. See, we want God to bless us into the work that he has for us. That's what people say, right? Spiritual people, very, very Christian people will say stuff like, God, I just pray that you would open doors no man can shut. God, I just want to see your favor so that I know I am doing what you've called me to do. If it's God's will, it's God's bill. So God will provide. I get all that. But the problem is some of us have been baptized into a thinking that tells us if it's easy, if it's unencumbered, if it's better, then it must be God. What if it's worse, but it's God? What if it's, what if you can't even see the path because the path has never been blazed, but it's God? What if it's more difficult? What if it costs you more? What if it's harder for you? What if it hurts you? But you know that you know that you know it's God. What if it's less money? But it's God. What if it's a lower quality of life? In other people's eyes. But it's God. What if nobody would think you are wrong for just walking away from that, but you know you're supposed to walk into that. What if it's broken when you get it? And that's the very thing that God calls you to. See, what if God directs you 
Maybe by breaking your heart. Not by blazing a trail for you. Not by paving the roads in gold for you. Not by providing for you everything you could ever hope, want, or dream, or imagine so you know it must be the will of God because it was so easy. I am not saying that sometimes God doesn't do that because sometimes he does. Sometimes it's like we had to take this opportunity. We had to do this thing because it was so good. But why for many people of faith is that their only definition of the will and purposes of God? What if God directs you through burden that he puts on your heart, not just through blessing that he provides for you? And sometimes that burden leads you to do something you weren't planning on doing, leads you to go away. You would never plan on going because it was difficult and it was hard. And people like you don't do big stuff like that. But God said this is for you. You know, a broken heart was all that Nehemiah had to start moving. Nehemiah chapter 1, we read the first four verses when he has this conversation with his brother and his heart is broken and he cries and he prays. The next many verses of chapter 1 actually uh, allow us in to some of that prayer from Nehemiah to God where he's pouring out his heart to God and saying, God, don't forget your people. God, God, fix this. God, God, do what only you can do. And then we turn the page to Nehemiah chapter 2 and Nehemiah still has this broken heart. He's fasted and prayed and he does all he can with what's in his hand. He's not a prophet, he's not a priest, he's not a great leader, but he does have access to the king. In fact, the king is his boss. The king, oddly enough, had a predecessor who was the very one who went to Jerusalem and destroyed the walls and burned down the gates and made the whole thing a mess. The mess that now Nehemiah has heard about. The mess that Nehemiah now feels burdened to do something about. He, um, he's going to his boss, the king, whose predecessor created the problem, and asking his boss, the king, if he could take some personal time off to see about rebuilding the city of Jerusalem. To which that king should have responded, No! Who do you think you are? That's not what the king says. The king says, yes, go do this. You've been so great to me. You've worked so great for me. There's clearly something wrong. I can see it in your face. Go. And so then, on top of that, Nehemiah chapter 2, go read it for yourself. I'm giving you a quick version. Help you understand. But Nehemiah then says, okay, well, that went so well. Let me, uh, let me see if we can get some funding for this. So Nehemiah asked the king, who again, his predecessor, had created the problem that Nehemiah is now burdened to go fix. He asked the king for the royal credit card, simplest way I can put it for you, to be able to buy the supplies that they're going to need to go rebuild the walls, to go reconstruct the gates, to go restore the dignity to the city that one of his predecessors destroyed. And the king says, okay, I'll do that too. That makes no sense, okay? Like, it makes no sense. But I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, oh, Nehemiah must have had so much clout. Nehemiah must have been, yeah, he wasn't a prophet. He wasn't a priest. But he was probably this great dignitary, this great advisor to the king. No, 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 no. 
Nehemiah was a nobody. And that's not because I think he was a nobody. That's because he calls himself a nobody. See, right at the end of Nehemiah chapter 1, before we get to Nehemiah chapter 2, and he asks the king for the favor and the time to be able to go and work on this and the favor and the resources to be able to take the royal credit card and go get the supplies to do this thing, Nehemiah gives us one piece of insight after he explains how his heart got burdened and after he gives us the prayer that he was praying to God. One little piece of information about him. And it says this at the end of Nehemiah chapter 1. Go see it for yourself. But he says, at the time, I was the king's cupbearer. At the time that God broke my heart, at the time that I heard about the plight of my hometown, at the, plight, at the time that I heard about the city of God be, being destroyed and decimated, I was the king's cupbearer. Do you have any idea what that job entailed? Obviously and clearly, it gave him access to the king, but not in an advisor role, in a service role. Nehemiah's whole job was to drink what the king drank before the king drank it. Because they were always very concerned about people inside or outside of the camp trying to take out the king. And so Nehemiah was one of those layers of protection, but they weren't able to test in some other way other than simply having somebody known as the cupbearer to where if the king wanted something to drink before he was going to drink it, people like Nehemiah took a sip and they'd watch Nehemiah. And if Nehemiah got sick, they say, no, 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 don't give that to the king. <laughs> you see how he is now? If Nehemiah fell over dead because somebody was trying to poison the king, they'd be like, oh, that's sorry for Nehemiah. Uh, can somebody arrange a funeral? Can we get a new cupbearer? And don't serve that to the king. Do you know how disposable you have to feel when you recognize the highest duty of your job is to drink something so that way the king don't get sick? <laughs> So the way the king don't die, so the king doesn't get poisoned, the, 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 the full vent, the highest honor you could bring to the table is, is taking a sip so that he don't get hurt. You got to feel pretty disposable. You got to feel pretty low on the totem pole. But Nehemiah had a burden. And so he, even though at the time he was the king's cupbearer, he went to the king, made his request, and received unbelievable favor and grace. Now you would think at this moment, with all this momentum, with all this favor, that nothing could stop him, that nobody would stand in his way. Because here is the king whose predecessor had created this problem, is now putting his stamp of approval, giving resources, giving time, giving his blessing to this little old cupbearer to go do this work. You would think that nobody would stand in his way wrong. See, Nehemiah, the scripture tells us, he took this blessing from the king in this time and he went and evaluated what was going on. He put together a plan. He didn't tell anybody about this at this time. He wasn't running around talking about, look at me, I'm special now. The king done gave me the royal credit card. Hey, look at me, I got that black Amex. And can't nobody tell me nothing. Here I am. He didn't run around like that. He uh, saw what needed to be done. Put together a plan. 
And once that plan was constructed, he began to communicate what they were going to do. And as soon as he started talking about what it was he was going to do, as soon as he started talking about how they were going to go about fixing the problem that he was burdened to fix, then the opposition shows up. The end of Nehemiah chapter 2 introduces us to three antagonists in Nehemiah's life. There were many others, but these were the three primary because they were leaders. They were officials in the area that Nehemiah was trying to rebuild. These are the very people you would think would be on his side, but they weren't. They were known as Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem. And they literally came out him when they heard about his plan, threatening him as being disrespectful to the king. They started threatening him, saying, what is this work that you were doing? You were being dishonoring to the king. And, and Nehemiah is like, what are you talking about? I got the king's blessing. The king is the one who sent me to do this. But now the opposition comes. And Nehemiah responds with such determination and grace throughout the whole of this journey that I think there's something you and I can learn from him. Because how do you respond? When you face opposition to God's priorities for your life. Because let me tell you, friend, if you begin to walk in the things of God, if you begin to walk out and do the things that God has for you, if you begin to care about people that God says care about, if you begin to care about work that God says this is work for you, I know ain't nobody doing it. I know nobody would see this as being wise, but I've called you to this. I've built you for this. You will find opposition will find you. When you're trying to help them people and you're trying to fix this problem and you're still praying about that and you're still praying for God to heal, still praying for God to fix, still praying for God to provide. They're a kid and you're trying to change the reality for those kids. See, most of us believe the onslaught of the opposition rather than see the opposition as an opportunity. Most of us believe the report that they are telling us. Most of us believe when they say our, our time is, is worthless, when they say our efforts are in vain, when they tell you you'll never make a difference, when they tell you you ought to leave him, you ought to be done with her, when they tell you that, we start to believe them. Rather than see the opposition as an opportunity, recognizing that I know this is a mess, but God's message will come through this. I know this is a test, but this will be my testimony. Hear me today and write this in your notes. Don't allow the opinions of the opposition to become greater than the outcomes of the opportunity. Don't allow the opinions of the opposition around you to become louder, stronger, and greater than the outcomes of the opportunity, than what God called you to, than the picture he put on the inside of you if you would just stay faithful in your family, if you would just keep showing up to your job. Come on, if you would just continue praying, if you would just continue inviting, if you would just continue serving, if you would just continue doing the thing God has called you to do, walking it out for his honor and his glory. See, that's why a burden matters so much. Because all this for Nehemiah started with a burden. And friend, if you're going to live planted, not buried, you've got to have a burden on the inside of you for what God's called you to. I know you may be a plumber, but what God's called you to. I know you may be a school teacher, what God has called you to. I know you may be retired, what God has called you to. 
Because the burden should push you to see, even when everybody around you can't see. See, it's that burden on the inside of you that pushes you to see your whole family saved. Even though you've got naysayers talking about, man, you've been praying for your family for 20 years and ain't not one of them saved. Why are you still trying to believe it? Why, why are you still doing all this? But it's that, it's that faith, it's that burden, it's that picture on the inside of you that says, I'm going to keep praying for him. I'm going to keep believing for him. I'm going to keep asking God to do what only God can do. It's that, it's that burden on the inside of you that continues to pray for your friend to be healed, even though the doctors have said, you know what, we're just trying to give them good quality of life as long as they're going to have breath. And you said, the devil is a lie. My friend shall be healed. They shall walk again. They shall stand upright. They shall... It's a burden. It's a burden that believes that your school can be transformed. It's a burden that, that helps you to see your neighborhood blessed. Ain't nobody ever called your neighborhood blessed. They've called it everything but blessed. They've called it broken. They've called it dysfunctional. They've said nobody wants to move there. Everybody's trying to move out of there. But you see your neighborhood as blessed and you hang on and that's why you serve and that's why you care and that's why you won't move and that's why you won't sell. It's that burden to see your business thrive, not just so you can be a big deal, not just so you can have more for you, but there are initiatives that you want to fund. There are nonprofits you want to bless. There, there, there are churches that you want to help fuel ministry. There is, there is work to be done. And you say, if God, if you'll bless this work that you've burdened me to do, God, I'll, I'll with open hands trust you like I'm trusting you with all you've given me right now. So you got to have a burden on the inside of you that's louder than the opposition around you. Because their opposition, their opinions, woo, man, can they get loud. Nehemiah experienced the increase in volume from the opposition. See, it's in Nehemiah chapter 4 that the opposition gets real, real loud. Before they had sort of identified themselves and talked about, oh, you ain't being nice to the king. And then they sort of went away thinking, oh, he just fly by night. He ain't going to be here that long. But when they saw him beginning to do some good work, they got a little nervous. And when they got a little nervous, their, their, their opinions started getting louder and more divisive. And they did all they could to tear him down. You see it in Nehemiah chapter 4. You see Sanballat come around and and, and, and lob accusation at him and the work that they're doing. You see Tobiah come by. And Tobiah, man, I don't know. You, you see it in Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 3, but I, I picture the Bible when I read it. I see faces. I hear voices. I, I see skin tone. Let me tell you something about Tobiah. Sam Bow, I don't know much about him. He probably a little stuck up because he was just all. But Tobiah comes in here trying to check. He does. He comes in here trying to make jokes, trying to tear down Nehemiah and the work. And I just picture him as this little white kid who never had to sit through lunch in a public school. He didn't know how to handle himself with his mouth and his word. Never been checked. Thought he could check, didn't know how to check. Because listen to what he says about Nehemiah and his work in Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 3. He says, indeed, 
Jesus to buy it Indeed, even if a fox climbed up what they are building, he would break down their stone wall. Man, listen, if I was Nehemiah, Tobiah would have been roasted. So you coming at me with this? Let me tell you about your mom. You know, like, like, do not. But they were trying to diminish the work. They were trying to, with their words, diminish the morale of the people around them. See, but what you need to understand is that opposition increases when progress persists. See, there are, the opposition only gets stronger. It only gets greater. It only gets more intense when you keep going. Listen to what Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 15 through 21, tell us about this reality for these people. Nehemiah said, when our enemies heard that we knew their scheme, see, they had plotted to try to come and attack and tear down and start breaking down the work that Nehemiah and his people were doing. And he says, when, we heard, when they knew that we knew their scheme and that God had frustrated it, every one of us returned to his own work on the wall. How about that? From that day on, half of my men did the work while the other half held spears, shields, bows, and armor. So now instead of everybody to be focused on the work, they got to have half of the people be security and the other half do the work. The officers supported all the people of Judah who were rebuilding the wall. The laborers who carried the loads worked with one hand and held a weapon with the other hand. So they over here working with one hand and like, come at me and see what happened with the other hand. Each of the builders had his sword strapped around his waist while he was building. And the trumpeter was beside me. Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is enormous and spread out. And we are separated far from one another along the wall. Wherever you hear the trumpet sound, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. Listen to this. So we continued the work. Can I help you to understand today, friend, in your life, that increased opposition is not an indication that your assignment is over. Some of you have used that as your exit card. I guess God don't want us to do this. It done got real, real tough to do what we used to do. Really? Really? You think because people ain't blessing you, you think because people don't see, you think because people are saying bad things about you, you think because there's opposition around you that now that's God's way of saying you need to stop doing that. No, no, no. Increased opposition is not an indication that your assignment is over. See, they couldn't even focus fully on their assignment because they had to spend half of their time, half of their attention fighting off people trying to tear down the work that they were doing. I came to remind you today, you don't need to bail because they are hating on you. You don't need to quit because they don't understand the work that you're doing. You don't need to stop because it's taking longer than you thought to do the thing that you were called to do. You don't need to say it ain't God because there are extra steps involved in getting to the place that God has for you. Just remind yourself that whatever may be going on, I am planted, not buried. Oh, Nehemiah had that spirit on the inside of him. Because if you had a, 
had a, if you don't have a planted, not buried spirit, when the opposition comes, you say, all right, this is just too much. Let's just go back. I'm going to go back to the cup berry. I ain't had some good king drink in a while. Like, I'm going to go back to doing what I'm doing. But Nehemiah put his, 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 set his face like flint in the direction that God had called him to and continued to work, continued to build because he had a burden on the inside of him that he could not shake. You cannot allow the noise around you to become louder than the burden on the inside of you. You cannot allow the distraction and the opposition around you to become greater than the... Don't let it dry up that burden. Don't let it quench that fire on the inside of you. God called you to it. He burdened you to fix this. He burdened you to give your life to that. You keep at it. And as you keep at it, the opposition will just continue to increase. I know this ain't encouraging yet, but it'll get there. I just need you to know being planted, not buried, doesn't mean that everything's going to turn up great for you. I came to warn you that it means that opposition's going to come and try to steal what God has planted on the inside of you. Try to thwart and try to stop, but you better keep at it. You get to Nehemiah chapter 5 and all of a sudden now all the people have money problems because they've started taxing the people in a way that is crazy and they can't even afford to live and do the work. And Nehemiah now, who was just simply burdened to rebuild the walls, has now got to become a diplomat and a, and a dignitary and go sit in meetings about tax laws to be able to help the people. That was never in his mind. But when you're really burdened, you will find yourself in some rooms handling some problems you never imagined handling. But you know what? My family shall be saved. <laughs> My neighborhood shall be changed. This thing will look different. God will do this. He will use us. My school is going to be different. Come on. My friends are going to know Jesus. My family is going to. You will find yourself in some places doing some things because that burden didn't stop on the inside of you. You turn the page, you get to Nehemiah chapter 6. And there are constant attempts now to discourage the builders. Insults and threats and false reports and bad reports are being hurled at them constantly. There were literally, go read it for yourself, death threats put out on Nehemiah. Some of the people working with Nehemiah said, hey, we need to do this and do that because they are trying to kill you. They were trying to intimidate him. They were trying to intimidate the work that he was doing. They were trying to get him distracted by all the noise that he was creating. All the noise that they were creating. So he wouldn't focus on the work that God had burdened him to do. But please hear the words of someone who knew he was planted, not buried. Please take to heart this statement of faith that Nehemiah offers that some of you need to hold on to today. Some of you need to allow the words of Nehemiah from chapter 6, verse 3 to become your new statement of activity and productivity. Your response when people don't understand why you're doing the work you do, why you care the way you care, why you're still trying to help, why you're still praying, why you're still building, why you're still working. He says this. He says, I am doing a great work. These are Nehemiah's words. So I cannot come down. Nehemiah was up on the wall building. They wanted him to come down and talk more with them. And Nehemiah was like, man, I'm done talking to y'all. I am doing a great work. 
I can't come down there and mess around with you. See, I am planted, not buried here. And so I, I, I can't be bothering myself. I can't be getting distracted by nonsense like you. I'm doing a great work. Somebody sitting in a living room right now just needs to say out loud, I'm doing a great work. Somebody who is hanging on for dear life right now, but you were burdened to do this work, needs to remind yourself by the power of the Holy Spirit that I am doing a great work. Being the mother of my kids, being the mother that they need, being the mother that they deserve, is too great a work for me to come down and be messing with you because I've done some research on you, sir. And you done had eight different women in the last 18 months. So don't be talking about how I'm the love of your life and the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. No, no, no. I'm doing a great work. I got children to raise. Come on, I got young men and young women who I am trying to show the things of God to. And I can't mess. I am burdened to see them have a life I didn't have. I can't come down and mess with you right now. Woo, it changes the way you see all you see. I'm working hard and I'm working faithfully at this job and it may not be the most glamorous thing but you know what it puts food on the table for my family it keeps a roof over our head and it gives me the time to be able to serve God and his people in my city the way I want to so I can't mess with you talking about you could do this and you could do that I am doing a great work and I can't come down. I got trauma that I'm getting over and being in God's house and being with God's people and being consistent and persistent in prayer is throwing some things off of me that a therapist can never get out of me. I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. I am breaking generational curses right here, right now. And I can't be fooling around with all this stuff. Y'all want to drag me back into that mess. I'm doing a great work and I can't come down. There are needs being met. I know you don't see it because you ain't never had a need like that, but there are needs being met and I'm a part of meeting those needs. I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. You got to get a burden on the inside of you that enables you to shut the mouth of every hater that allows you to shut the lie of all the opposition because you know I'm doing it. It may not look like it to you, but my God said it was a great work. It was the work he burdened me to do. And so I'm doing it. See, Nehemiah experienced unbelievable favor and grace walking towards this burden. Nehemiah experienced unbelievable blessing while also unfathomable opposition and difficulty trying to do what God had burdened him to do. It wasn't all easy. It wasn't all opposition. But he didn't allow blessing or problem distract him. He didn't allow the opposition to redirect him. Because who would have ever thought that he would have gotten the favor and support that he did get from where he got it. No one. No one would have seen the king doing that. 
But also, who would have thought that the opposition that he felt, the opposition that he endured would have come from where it came from? Nobody. In fact, if you want to tell the story more logically, the king should have told him no. But the, but the, but the leaders of the community that he was trying to rebuild and did rebuild because God graced him. He didn't just burden him. He graced him to do it and the walls were completed and it was it was something that gave honor and glory to God because there's no way people could have done it except for the hand, grace, and blessing of God. But the people who were supposed to support him didn't even support him. The people who you never thought would have supported him supported him unbelievably. He believed he was planted. So nothing stopped him. You know, my encouragement to you today, particularly those of you who are planted, but you're planted in a place you've been burdened for. You're burdened to help navigate addiction for people. You're burdened to keep praying for that group. You're burdened to keep inviting. You're burdened to see your whole street come to church with you. You're burdened. I get it. I get it. Stay planted and watch God surprise you. Watch God surprise you. Can I tell you, I am so, looking back on it, astonished at what God's done for me in this vein. If you would have asked me many years ago, when I was just getting started as a, pastor. If you would have asked me who I knew was going to support me, who I knew was going to be in my corner, who I knew I could lean on and they could lean on me. And then if you would have asked me who, man, there ain't no way they ever going to be in my corner. There ain't no way they ever going to be my, they're never going to understand. Literally, I got the wires crisscrossed. Because a lot of the people I thought that were going to be in my corner, a lot of the people that I thought would fight for me, care for me, that I would be able to care for them too, <laughs> no. And people I never would have imagined would stand up and step in, have stood up and stepped in. I even think about the work that we do with Yellow House. I have this fundamental belief that, quite honestly, every church in our country could do something something like that. Not that they give money to Yellow House, but they look at their own communities and they look at their own neighborhoods and they look at the affordability of housing and go, is there something we could do for seniors, for uh, families led by single dads, for people who are transient, for young people, for old people? I don't know. I think every single church could and should. Can I tell you the majority of times when I've shared what we do with Yellow House to pastors, they laugh at me. I mean, not to my face, but you can tell when you're getting a, oh, that's cute, you know? Or the Southern women say, bless his heart. But you know, I shared the work that we do at Yellow House regularly. I share it in meetings. I share it uh, over cups of coffee. I share it um, at you know, conference rooms that I'm invited into. I share it at events that I'm invited to, to speak at. And, a couple of months ago, I was invited to an event to share about Yellow House. And a couple days later, after sharing about Yellow House, the work that we have done, the work that we are doing, I get an email from this lady who I do not know. 
she's an attorney at FedEx and she starts telling me about community investment work that FedEx wants to do and she's like listen I believe so strongly in the work that you're doing she's like would it be okay if I write a if I submit a grant to FedEx to get yellow house money to do more houses I said absolutely of course it is and we believe that you know in the next couple of months that that along with many others are coming through but it just surprises me because I never would have thought that somebody I literally don't know <laughs> would hear about the work that we're doing and be willing to put their name and their reputation and their influence and their company on the line for us and then people who I have served in their churches for years and people who I love and have been on trips with and prayed with and prayed for literally won't even return a phone call. It's funny who God brings into your life and who becomes the opposition when you walk towards your burden. The reason many of us won't walk towards our burden is because those who we thought were going to support us start telling us that they won't, and we say, I can't do this then. If you're burdened, please understand. You don't have to know how to believe that God will. You don't have to know how God will supply to believe by faith that God will supply. You don't have to know how God will fix that problem to believe that God will fix that problem. See, it's having this faith on the inside of you that enables you to keep praying for healing when it doesn't look like they're ever going to get any better. It's this faith on the inside of you that enables you to keep serving even when you're tired, even when you're exhausted, even when you wonder if you're really making a difference. It enables you to keep giving even when money is tight. It enables you to keep believing even though the battle in your mind and your heart rages on. It, this is how you keep blessing even when they hate. Because the opposition will come. And that will be the moment when you find out Am I going to let this opposition bury me? Am I going to let this opposition bury the dream and the burden God put on the inside of me? Or do I know that I am planted here? And this opposition is just reminding me of the call of God, of the work that he set me to do, of the thing that he placed in my heart and said, give yourself to that. Help make that happen. Come on, make sure your church never has to work. You do this you're planted, not buried. Father, I love you and I thank you today. I pray specifically for people under the sound of my voice who know that they are burdened to do a work, burdened to change a reality, burdened to make it happen. Father, today I pray you would fuel them with faith like you fueled Nehemiah, that regardless of the opposition, regardless of the hate, regardless of the pushback, they would stay firmly planted on the burden you put on the inside of them and run towards it with abandonment because they know with you they are planted, not buried. Jesus, we pray all this in your precious name. Everybody say, amen.